Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We were... We reread. <laughs> oh, I got overwhelmed by your Dragon Babies excitement. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yeah. This week, Searching for Dragons by Patricia C. Reedy. Yes, another Patricia C. Reedy. Yeah, it's been a very long time since we last covered one of the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. That was one of our very first episodes. Um, so it's really interesting to be visiting this series again, having gone through now nearly a hundred full episodes of the pod um, and learned a lot about ourselves, much less YA fantasy. Um, so definitely looking forward to this discussion today. Yeah. Wait, what, what episode number are we on? 96. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're almost at 100. I think we might... <laughs> I have some ideas for our 100th episode. <laughs> Might put up a poll and see what other people would like to hear. Yeah. Um, our great white whale is Aragon. <laughs> <laughs> I would... Um, which we both hate, but I think it. it would be interesting to examine. I do think it would be fun. And I think it would be a fun episode to do. And I think we'd probably also be less critical than we were as children. Right. Exactly. Because of the nature of the author of the book and everything surrounding it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that would be interesting. (laughs) Uh, But there are some other like actually good books that I think could be cool to do. So this book was published in 1991. It is book two of the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. The first Mm. is dealing with dragons, which we have an episode on, as we mentioned. And we have some episodes on other Patricia Reedy books like The Raven Ring and Sorcery and Cecilia. Um, So if you're a fan, definitely check those out. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't visited this one in a while, definitely recommend skipping off, getting a piping hot cup of cocoa and just like snuggling down with it. It's going to take like three hours. Um, it's a quick, fast paced romp. Dare I say yes, this it is, is a, a romp. romp. A romp. Madeline, would you like to give us a breakdown of how the publisher chose to package and promote the book? And notably, this isn't our childhood copy. I have all my other Enchanted Forest Chronicles books, including the short story collection, But Searching for Dragons has gone missing. Searching for Dragons, the book. If only I'd lived a slightly less chaotic life up until this point. But no. It's fine. The Seattle Public Library's got us. I like this cover a lot. The composition is good, is the first thing that I notice. It feels very... um, it, It feels like the person who did it enjoyed doing it, maybe even read the book. They definitely read yeah, the book. There are specific so. details that are included. The carpet with the the yellow carpet with the pink teddy bears on it is just magnificent. Great. Oh, and, and look at all the, of the detail that went into it too. And it has the hole in the corner that they mentioned too. Yeah. When I got to the carpet's introduction, it was very fun to get to flip to the back to the cover like, and oh, be like, oh my there. gosh, they got all Simmering and Bend and Bar's outfits are picture perfect. Yeah. Like exactly as described. And the way that they're drawn sitting on the carpet, like I actually kind of believe that they're sitting on something that, um, you know, mm-hmm. insubstantial and and moving around so much. And there's a gorgeous watercolor on the back um, of the 
I think Mountains of Mourning in the Enchanted Forest and the um, Enchanted Forest coming up to it. Yeah, really, it's a lovely. really, really cool watercolor. I love looks the, like a Breath the of the Wild Vista. Yeah, yeah, definitely strong Breath of the Wild vibes. Um, and uh, I like their little hands here too. Like I said, I think the composition is very mm-hmm. good. Like it has a lot of artistic merit for sure. Um, yeah. Who is it by? You want to look inside the front cover? Yes. Who are we complimenting? Uh, jacket illustration copyright 1991 by Trina Shart Hyman. So I will go ahead and do a summary of the book. Um, book sum. This is this was published by Jane Yolen Books, which is really cool. Oh. And the foreword for it that was on the Kindle edition. I read three different editions of this book: print for this podcast and Audible. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Not <laughs> Grace did her homework. <laughs> not all separately, but I was switching between based on I see. Okay. what I had at the time. It's like Nick reading the terror and intermittently watching the terror as exactly. well. Exactly. <laughs> and I didn't realize that Jane Yolen had her own publishing company, um, her own press. And that's very cool. And in the foreword, Patricia Reedy talked about the fact that she submitted Dealing with Dragons to her editor, Jane Yolen, for publication. And Jane was like, it's great, but I think you should add another book because she had already written the fourth book in the series. That was actually the first book she wrote. Oh, interesting. I think we talked about this a little in our Dealing with yeah, Dragons yeah. episode. Um, but she wanted her to flush it out and make a trilogy out of it. And then when she was working on the middle book, she was like, there's too much. It has to be two books. Um, so, so much more there. Yeah. So yeah. Cimmerian and Mendenbar aren't in Talking to Dragons all that much. It's all about their son, right. Daystar. Yeah. Um, so here we get the switch in viewpoints from Cimmerian in Dealing with Dragons to young King Mendenbar, Mendenbar. in Searching for Dragons. Mendenbar is the king of the enchanted forest. He is... Young, we don't know exactly how young, um, but he's only been reigning for a few years because his dad died in an accident, and he is not super thrilled with his job. Yeah. He's generally pretty overwhelmed. Um, stressed. Very stressed out. There's just simply too much for him to do, so he's never really able to stop and make a plan and get organized because he just kind of has to flail from task to task. And as a small business owner, Ugh. I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> know the exact feeling, and it's hard. Yeah. So he's in his castle doing his best with only the assistance of his valet, Willen. And a grumpy gargoyle that lives in his study corner. And he realizes that there is some kind of problem in the forest. Um, He finds a patch of the forest that has been stripped clean of magic and also burned looking. Gross and bad. Yeah, it's been generally deforested. (laughs) Um, Like thoroughly so. And Mendenbar knows this because as the king of the Enchanted Forest, he can feel the magical threads that twine throughout the forest and manipulate those to cast spells and also take care of the forest. Yeah, his magics are mysterious even to him. Yes. 
And to make matters more confusing, a wizard, and we know the wizards are bad news <laughs> from dealing with dragons. All bad guys. They're all bad truly guys. all awful. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, I should say, a member of the society of wizards, which I believe all wizards are because magicians and witches, right. sorcerers, so it's, they're separate. It's like a really toxic frat. Yeah, they're <laughs> gross. They all have beards they don't take care of. They're very annoying. <laughs> They think they're better than everyone. Just really obnoxious, guys. Um, But a wizard shows up at Menembar's castle and kind of tries to stir stuff up and says that they have a problem with the dragons who won't let them into the caves of fire and ice anymore. He's he's conniving. He's political subterfuging. He is. And he tries to imply to Menembar that the dragons have a problem with Menembar or with the enchanted forest. He's just talking smack. He comes in and just, yeah, throws out so many lies. And Mendenbar is annoyed by him because he also leaves a little magical mess behind him. Yeah. As wizards so often yeah. do. Um, leaving behind tidbits of a spell. So he decides to go and see the king of the dragons, Kazul, whom we remember fondly. And he goes on a relatively quick quest (laughs) to get to the Mountains of Morning where the nearby dragons live. On the way to the Mountains of Morning, Mendenbar gets a little lost in the woods, which are always moving themselves around. And he sees a hill covered in blue catnip, (laughs) which he decides to go up and enter the home atop it. And there lives Morwen, a wonderful witch, and her nine cats, all of whom are adorable. And Morwen gives him a little bit of background about what might be going on. She tells him that the scales that he found at the burned out forest patch are actually from the same dragon and were enchanted to look like they were from different dragons. So there's clearly a trickery afoot. And it's bad dragon from the last book. And well, we Simmerine tells us later that those scales are actually from the dragon who was turned into a toad yeah. for trying to kill Kazul. He was, he was um, wizard Kahootin. And become king. So Something really weird is going on. Um, Morwen also gives uh, Mendenbar some guff for not going to see Kazul when she was coronated and generally not being more involved in inter-kingdom diplomacy. And I think he begins to realize that he needs someone to help him, although not a wife. He'll never marry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but recognizes that he could use an advisor of some sort. He meets Simmerine, who is Kazul's chief cook and librarian, and is like, oh, I hate princesses. I don't want to talk to a princess. Yeah. And Simmerine is like, I hate heroes. I don't want to talk to a hero. Yeah. And they soon realize that they are exceptions to the tropey fantasy fairy tale character types that they have been cast in. They defeat each other's uh, stereotypes with love. <laughs> <laughs> but first, you know, they have a conversation about where Kazul is, yeah. what's going on with the forest, and just generally trying to figure out a way forward. And, and Simrine has her own stuff going on that she's stressed about. She does. Kazul is missing. She went on a trip to see her grandchildren and is days late getting back. And Simrine is really worried. And the sink is clogged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's even yes. worse. 
Mendenbar uses his magic sword, which he brought with him to clear the sink. But the magic sword can't find Kazul, at least not yet. I would I would take just the sink clearing thing alone, though. That's that on its own is it's good magic power on the sword. It's pretty nice. <laughs> and Simmering also makes it clear that the wizards have their own problems with the dragons and vice versa, and that they're really the antagonists in this situation. And Mendenbar listens and believes her. Simmering and Mendenbar decide to go forth together to try to find Kazul. And their first stop is the giant and giantesses mountaintop where they're going to yeah. borrow a magic carpet. So they get the only carpet that's left because a Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk who comes every three months, a new Jack comes every three months um, and keeps cleaning the giants out of various treasures. And the last one took a bunch of magic carpets. Um, So there's just one left. It's really wonky. It has pink teddy bears embroidered all over it and a big (laughs) hole in the corner. So they're like, okay, it's fine. It's enough. <laughs> and the giants give them a ton of food made in their cauldron of plenty. And they set off on the carpet. At first, it's pleasant. Oh, was there something I missed? I just really love when, uh, mag- like, the idea of a magical item that's very important and powerful, and it looks really, really tacky. I just love that. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> awesome. It's classic Patricia C. Reed yeah. as well. Um, and we've already gotten some comments about like a, a sword that does plumbing is useful, but a sword that would do dishes is just ridiculous. Yeah. So <laughs> please don't use your magic to wash the dishes. I'll do it myself. <laughs> so on their magic carpet ride, at first it's going great. They're having a grand time, but then the carpet malfunctions and ends up plummeting to the earth. And they're only saved by Mendenbar magically slowing them down and setting them softly on the ground. They discover that they've landed next to a house filled with children and a dwarf named Herman. (laughs) And he is a descendant of Rumpelstiltskin, but he keeps accidentally taking children from people. And the kids love him. (laughs) And he's... He's essentially set up an unwilling orphanage, but he loves the kids. The kids love him. They all seem to be very happy, but he's just like, I can't take any more children. Um, Just one dwarf. Mendenbar and Simmering give him the idea to uh, transform the scheme a little bit so that he can spin gold because he's not able to do it unless it's part of a pact Mm -hmm. with someone where a child is promised in return. He's very trapped in the fairy tale rules. Exactly. Um, where he can spend gold because it's going to be for a scholarship fund for a boarding school (laughs) for young princes and princesses and nobles and children of all types, um, where they're going to be trained up to, you know, come triumphantly home once they hit 18 and rule the kingdom. Menembar gives lots of great little, like, hey, maybe you should change your profession tips along the way. He he suggests the giant become a consultant for other giants instead of actually doing the gianting. Um, And, you know, just generally helps helps people find their purpose, which is surprising because he's trying to figure out his own purpose. Sometimes it's a lot easier to help other people than to help yourself. At Herman's house, they notice that 
his house is full of windows. It's kind of odd looking. And he says he bought it from a magician who was trying to experiment on different windows and see what kind of enchantments they would hold. And that there's one that will show you things that you want to see sometimes. Okay. So they use that window and ask it, where is Kazool? And do get a glimpse of her trapped in a golden bubble in a cave. Um, And Mendenbarth thinks that it's probably part of the enchanted forest um but then they try to ask a more specific question and the window shatters <laughs> and herman's like my window it's <laughs> very funny thanks window so they decide at that point that menabar is going to try to magic them back to the enchanted forest because they really don't trust the carpet they're kind of terrified to get back on it again as I would be (laughs) and he tries to use his usual approach and his magic sword to send them back Um, instead he knocks himself out and completely drains himself he hits a weird gray wall during the process of casting the spell and he wakes to discover that he and Simmerine are both fine, but he has only managed to bring a little patch of forest underneath them. Um, so Magic's not working. They're kind of at a loss as what to do. They meet a magician in the forest whose name is Telamine, who has been observing them and is like, <laughs> I'm curious about you, and I can tell that you have this bonkers magical sword because it's just screaming, I'm magical, and everyone else can feel it. Mendenbar can't. Uh, now I just want to say Tenenbaum. Ten, Telemane. 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 Like Delamane. Uh, in the audiobook. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I was trying to figure out what he reminded me of. And I, it's the, it's Link yep. from the... <laughs> while the king has a birthday (laughs) that's exactly what he sounds like and it was Uh, so actually there was a review on the audible audiobook that said i got to the part where telemane was introduced and could not continue he's just too annoying and he's supposed to be annoying um but they went really far in like an almost unlistenable direction yeah yeah it was a full cast audio audiobook right um, and some, yeah. of, some of the voices are like really perfect and great and i don't think anyone the does. narrator and simmerine and morwen who are all played by the same woman were wonderful yeah yeah really good mm-hmm. and i don't think anyone's like bad at audio recording no but i think that the the characterization that was given was a little yeah. strange it was like Maybe excited 10 year old nerd um yeah, I think. But it, who happens to be like a brilliant snob? Yeah, <laughs> I thought it could have been <laughs> toned down a little bit. I thought I thought he needed to sound a little more academic. Right, I thought he was like. Well, having seen that review, I was curious about what he would sound like when we got to him. Yeah, and yeah, I expected him to be more professorial. Yes, um, exactly. especially because he's given to using all of this ridiculous jargon all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, which didn't make as much sense, and I think was less funny coming yeah. out of this yeah. voice. Uh, I did like the little boy a lot, the prince, mm-hmm. um, um, Jerome. Jillian. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. Rupert and Crown Prince Jerillum. That's why we couldn't okay. remember the name. 
Because right. it's Jerillum. Jerillum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, Telemain has been introduced and he's screaming in all our ears for the rest <laughs> of the audiobook. <laughs> Telemain says, your carpet is ruined it really needs serious work and i know a guy so let's go and he takes them to jack who is not one of the beanstalk jacks he's a different jack Jack. a man with a black mustache who lives on a house on wheels and fixes things of all sorts of magical varieties i thought he was like the jack of all trades yeah right yes um that's the jack a tinker yeah um And he says it'll take a few days to uh, fix the rug, but maybe he can help them by offering a broomstick or some other situation. (laughs) They all argue a lot. There's a lot of like arguing and planning in this book um, because there's a lot of characters and they all have their own pretty strong ideas of how things should be done. It's a lot of stubborn characters together. And I do appreciate it because it's not just argument for conflict's sake. It makes very much sense with their characters. It's role playing. Mm -hmm. This would be a great D&D campaign. Truly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really well done. Um, but in the end, they decide they'll stay there overnight. Telamine is wanting to talk to Simri and Antimend and Bar very deeply and at great length about how each of the spells they perform work. He's very interested in magic systems, as are we. And this is one reason why this book is so fascinating, because you get people coming from different magical backgrounds and paths yeah, different coming together yeah. and being amazed by what the others can do and then learning so much about how they can feels very appropriate use magic to their advantage. Um, yeah. A meeting of the minds. Yeah. So the next morning they decide that what they're actually going to do is have Mendenbar try to do his translocation spell again with Telamine observing um, so that he can see what goes wrong and how he might be able to fix it. Before they do that, Zaminar's obnoxious son shows up and tries to kill them. And they is melt, useless. And they melt him. Um, Simrine has already talked to everyone about the trick of soapy water with lemon in yeah. it and how it melts a wizard. And then they disappear for a few days. You know, yeah. they'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> but if you hide your their staff, it'll help prolong it. They're floating around in little pieces like the chocolate bar and Willy Wonka. So Mendenbar performs the spell again, and this time it works. They are transported to the Enchanted Forest, only to discover that the castle is full of people. Ah. There's a bunch of hubbub. Willen is very upset. Um, Morwen's there. With some cats. <laughs> some cats. Just nine cats. There's also a man named Rupert and his son, Crown Prince Jerillum. Uh, Rupert has become interested in trying to do wicked acts to his nephew um, because he's a member of the Wicked Stepmother's Traveling, Drinking, and Debating Society. And the inscription in the book is actually to... The real members of that society, um, who Patricia Reedy said granted their permission for the use of their society in the book, which is very cute. Huh. Um, I bet they play bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who know? Who knows what they get up to? Um, so it, now he's 
come into the caretaking of his nephew unexpectedly. He didn't really want to ever have to do anything evil, but he's trying to find ways to be wicked. So he thought he'd abandon him in the enchanted forest. Um, but then they were like, oh, I don't know. I don't really feel good about this. So they're at the castle trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, so Rupert and Drillum um, fight some wizards in the forest who are really wandering around much more than they should be. And the then, wizards are so bad at everything. I I so bumbling. Love to hate them. Mm-hmm. Good job, Patricia C. Reedy. I know. They're <laughs> great. Um, and then the wizards ran into Morwen and she took them to the castle. Um, Mendenbar, Simrine, and Telamine came to the castle because after they got back to the Enchanted Forest, they were trying to... Mendenbar was trying to send out searching spells to figure out where oh, right. Kazul is in the forest. Yeah. And one of the threads that he sent his little spell ball down um, broke during that process, which should not happen. Yeah, so so he he's realizing like, that there's something very something wrong. Bad. So at the castle, Willen helpfully says... I think there's a list of all the entrances to all the caves in the Enchanted Forest in the Royal Archive, if you want to look at it. What a useful resource. And uh, Mendemar, who has been pretty rude to Willen up to this point, is like, oh, should have known you'd have one list that was actually useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor Willen Poor goes Willen. and gets the list. Yes. And in fact, it does have the information they need. <laughs> then they argue about how they're going to get to the cave and save Kazool. Um, in the end, Rupert and Drillum are resigned to stay in the dungeon as Drillum has requested. Um, and Simmerine and Telamine and Mendemar and Morwin and some cats transport themselves to the entrance of the cave next to a waterfall. They go in and pretty quickly find Kazul in a cavern with wizards arguing around her. And it's clear that they have been sucking up magic to use it for their own devices. Now they're just fighting with each other. Now they're just fighting. It seems like they don't really know what to do next. There were so many fumbled plans along the way. And then these plans are fumbled, too, because they come out from behind their pillars and douse them all with water. The wizards melt, and Mendenbar pierces the golden bubble with his magic sword and sets Kazul free. And the wizards are defeated for today. Yeah. Telamane takes all their staffs so that he can examine them and Mendenbar finds that because he used his sword to suck away the wizard's spells he's able to use the power that's residing in the sword to relay out the burned patches of forest and put everything to rights again yeah and then Simmerine's like oh we have to stay here for a few days while Kazul rests and Mendenbar's like stay forever mm, yep <laughs> and then they get married he has little hearts in his eyes at this point <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the book yeah good summer Grace I don't think we missed anything too um, important we got all oh, the Prince Jerullum is sent to Herman school as a wicked stepfather or step uncle task yeah. Um, and he's really grumpy about it. But he comes to the wedding and has a great time. Everyone comes to the wedding and has a great time. It's a very cute yeah. reunion. It's it's an Aragorn coronation yeah. sort of situation. Yeah, it's a great epilogue. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. Old new impressions? Yeah, I, I can go first. Um, Did you read the whole series? 
I've definitely read this before. Okay. Uh, and I know that I read the third book as well. I'm a bit hazier on what happens in the fourth book, but I kind of assumed that I would have read it because I really liked these um, and they felt safe to me. Like they weren't going to turn on me and emotionally <laughs> desolate me. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you were talking about emotional betrayal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, because these books always made me happy. Um, so I think I read them a number of times, uh, and I like that. I I feel like they're as comforting and safe and just lovely yeah. as an adult as I did as a kid. Yeah, um, sure. It's fun finding other ways to be like, ah, like that's, that's great because my concepts of role reversal and uh, subversion and just Mm -hmm. like, I have a much greater general knowledge of these fantasy Mm -hmm. tropes because this podcast and also Mm -hmm. because I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think now I can appreciate, uh, how skillful it is. Yeah. And also being done at a pretty, uh, early time I mean yeah she started writing these books in the 80s and today I I hate that I'm about to reference Shrek (laughs) but I do feel that that was a like mass cultural turning point in terms of incorporating fairy tales into children's media and stories and creating fractured versions of them on on like a mass market scale like when I was young and both of us we loved uh, weird takes on classic stories yeah um this series is part of what made me that exactly (laughs) yeah um but like it was very it was new and exciting when Patricia Reedy was doing it and like yeah, I guess I'm stealing the impression talking stick away from you now. <laughs> no. Had you, had you uh, Oh, no, we're fighting over <laughs> an invisible first impression talking stick. Um, I, I don't think it's too important me, for me to talk more about it because it's just going to be glowing and we'll get into the specifics okay. uh, more so. But I really liked the cats a lot too, which of course I always liked them. But yeah. Having owned my own cats now, um, I just... Although, I mean, there was always a cat in your life as a child. But they weren't, like, the cats that I was responsible for. They were more like... uh, And they were pretty ornery cats. Yeah. Childhood cats. They were more like lesser siblings Mm -hmm. um, than, like, my animals. Uh, And now that I have my own, I can tell when someone writes those animals when they have those pets. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't until the introduction of Zoe and Manny, which was when I was like 14 and 15. Right. That then there were um, cats that like wanted to be around us. Yeah. No disrespect to any of our other cats' memories. But they didn't really want to hang out. And one of them actively attacked me. Oh, yeah. On a, a daily lot. basis. <laughs> as terrifying. a small child. So. No one else. Just. Only Gray. <laughs> literally carried a pillow with me when I walked up and down the stairs so I could fight him off too it was huge yeah 
Um, anyways. R.I.P. Calvin. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace. Um, um, anyway, and, yes, these cats are great. And in particular, I love when the wizards are arguing at the end and Simmerine is hiding with her um, posse and a cat just appears inside the enclosure. There's and the a wizards silence are just and the wizards like, are like, that's a cat. What's, <laughs> how did that get in there? And it just felt so real yeah, of just suddenly absolutely. stopping and being like, what's that cat? Um, How did that cat get in here? <laughs> it reminds me like when a cat gets on the field at a sports game and they have to stop For and then sure. like all the referees chase the running cat. Running by the cat. It's just like, whoa. Um, anyways, that just catch me. That brought me a lot of joy. Absolutely. The cats were great. And then that same cat hops up on Kazool's yeah. back for a ride home, which yeah. is a visual that I'm treasuring. Cats and dragons spiritually like occupy a same space, I feel, mm-hmm. and they would get along very well. Very, very mysterious. Absolutely. Humans like desperately want to be around them. <laughs> and they don't care. They don't care. They don't need us. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Great points. Thank you. So I can have the stick now. Okay. I got the stick. (laughs) Um, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that the last time I really read these with the exception of dealing with dragons, which I think was like our third episode. So we were still kind of figuring out this whole project. Um, It's probably the sound quality is a bit rough now to go back and listen to. (laughs) Yeah, I am scared to re-listen to our first episodes. I also think a fun 100th episode idea would be to redo Sabriel, which was our very Ah, first episode. Yeah. Like we'd have so much more insight. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I couldn't stop thinking about how these books were like my Terry Pratchett training wheels. And yeah, a lot of the Terry Pratchett vibe, especially with the stupid voice. (laughs) Terry and Patricia were interested in a lot of the same things. Yeah. um, In creating these fantasy worlds that, you know, to their own detriment, have to rely on these very specific rules about how fairy tale creatures operate and how they coexist and to get into conflicts. But then they put into those roles characters who fight against the roles Mm -hmm. and then just kind of let the hilarious chaos ensue. Um, I was at first kind of fixating on, you know, just in recent years, like examining and working on my own internalized misogyny. Hmm. I think that I read Simmerine the wrong way when I was a kid. Um, And because she can have sort of like a not like the other girls energy. Okay. Um, But I don't think that's actually what Patricia Reedy was doing with that character. It's that they exist within like this hyper surreal and silly (laughs) version of our own social roles and norms. Yeah. Um, So when someone is rebelling against that, they're literally like an outsider. Yeah. They don't function the same way that that prescribed type functions because it's 
a work of fiction and like so satirical fiction at the same time. Yeah. So she actually is like utterly rejected by the others. Um, and at first it's easy to see Mendenbar is constant like, oh my God, princesses are worthless as something that is diminishing those women. But then Simrain has the same, oh my God, heroes are worthless. Yeah, And yeah. it's really interesting to think about what that worthlessness and uselessness that these two like very sensible and practical characters, Menembar and Simrain, are really eschewing. And it's because these other people aren't really interested or like those other types Theoretically, their goals are for the princesses, get a husband, and for mm-hmm. the heroes, save a princess from a dragon. But they're not really existing as humans who are trying to like keep the world going, which right. is what Simrine and Mendenbar are doing. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool to think about. And she she comes right out and says it at one point, too. Um, like, well, no wonder they're so silly if that's all they are given to work with, um, right. which I appreciated that a lot, too, because it doesn't you know, just just laying the cards out on the table and being like, it's because that's what society forces yes. them to be. Like, that's the message there. Not that they are inherently bad. Um, or like when Simrine talks about... Yeah, the women don't have an education. Like, Simrine right. had to trick her parents into or like hide from them that she was secretly studying politics. Mm-hmm. Right. During her lessons. Um, and... Uh, Simrine had to like completely uh, just blow up her whole life in order to escape that mold and had to go her own way so hard and, uh, and fight off knights that were still coming up the mountain even by this book. Right. For yeah, I'm I'm glad that you talked about that cuz that's totally something that you could look for in there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't I don't think that that's the message. It also and we've talked about this a lot in other episodes, like just our childhood attitudes toward marriage and mm. being very frustrated when characters would be in our experiences married off. And my feelings about marriage have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Says Grace, a married person. <laughs> just feels like an arrested development moment. Like I hate marriage <laughs> narrator. She was married. (laughs) I am also married. Married. Um, And we performed one another's marriage. We did. Yes, we did. That's how hard we eschewed the patriarchal structures from the process. (laughs) Fine. We'll just marry each other ourselves. UniversalLifeChurch.com. Dot org. Dot org. Um, But anyway... I, something that I really liked, and I do want to talk about like their romantic relationship a bit because I do think it needed more time to develop. But given the like general pacing of the overall, the the length of the book (laughs) and the lengths of the books, and like I, I think Patricia Reedy is just more interested in like quirky group dialogues than in, you know, two characters like going off by themselves and engaging in serious, like soul searching talks. And they they live in a heightened ridiculous world, you know? Right. Yeah. Like you don't expect the same thing from this that you would expect from like, say a Tamara Pierce book where there is a romantic relationship that develops between two characters. Um, The worlds just work really differently. And I love this one. Oh, my God. So anyway, clearly I have a lot to say about this. I mean, this this series is 
incredibly fundamental to me, right. to my yeah. art. Of like, course you have a lot to say about view it. of the world. I just cherish it so much. I can't believe it took us this long to do the second book. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Okay. When they do get married and Kazool is talking to Simmerine when she, Kazool's the first person they tell after they get engaged. And they also have a really cute, like, proposal um, yeah. where Menabar's just kind of awkwardly talking to her and is like, maybe, are so are you going back with Kazool? Because you could, like, stay here, like, forever? You, you, like, you could be my queen. I, I love, love you. you. <laughs> And she's like, okay, I'm into this. But, like, just to be clear, you are asking me to marry you. <laughs> and he's like, um, kiss, 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 kiss. But then when they go and tell Kazool, she says, being the queen of the enchanted forest is going to be much more suited to your talents. And it is a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. Like, Simmerine has hilariously ended up marrying a king which is the one thing that was her you know number one mission to not do at the beginning of the first book but she has found someone who is her equal and they share mutual respect and are continually uh, like reluctantly impressed by one another throughout the book which is very cute well Mendenbar from the start is like pretty head over heels yeah, so every time she does he, anything he's like <gasps> simmerine little sparkles and roses <laughs> around his face and she's like your magic is really flashy yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is a fun dynamic um but yeah she's she's entering into you know not just a marriage but a job like being queen of the forest is a very big job and i feel like it's both of those things that make her interested even though it is a position she enters through marriage right because clearly she just has a lot to give and that will put her in a position where she's able to really like live up to her full potential another impression a new impression that I hadn't thought about yet. Um, I love how there are multiple clearly like long established magic traditions, but people are very confused about how and why they work and how to uh, achieve the same result consistently. Should we do a sub segment magic system? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Segment. And, segment now. Um, as exhausting as Telamine might be, he's very helpful because he is sci- looking through a scientific lens at the way that different spells work and the way different magic traditions work. And we see a few different ones in this book alone. There's wizard magic, which is very reliant on their staffs and spells that they store in their staffs. Mm-hmm. And they seem to steal magic from elsewhere and use it to power those spells. They're like energy magic vampires yeah there is Mendenbar's magic which is derived from the power of the enchanted forest and it's not super forest magic yeah it's not super clear to us um if he alone can wield that because he is king um i i feel like that has got to be it because he doesn't understand how to use it no he's so confused and it's so recently been become king right and through 
you know, I, I assume a very fast surprise coronation because they say his dad died in an accident. Right. So it's not like he exactly. was necessarily ready for this. Yeah. And so that's what I assumed is it's a, something you get as part of the office. Right. Um, but, but he has all this power, but is, yeah, like a child, like totally uh, unequipped to manage it. Um, and then there's dragon magic, which is really fun and kind of feels like, yeah, we found some spells and some books, like we're all thousands of years old and there's all these little mental tidbits floating around and like, yeah, let's do that. That works. So it's Um, highly individualized. Right. And then they end up through that making all sorts of fun discoveries. Like one of my favorite spells in the book isn't, or in the series hasn't shown up in either of these two books yet. But it's that they create a spell. Oh, yeah. You shoot soapy lemon water. Yeah. <laughs> so and what's it? Frizzer Spitz is the password that she says for the door. Yes. Frizzle Spitz. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I can't remember right it's now. Great password. Great password. Um, but yeah, just like really making magic work for them in more practical ways. Yeah. Um, I th- I really enjoyed that piece of it, yeah. uh, and then the the old impression that I need to mention is like the same as yours. I love Morwen and her cat so much. She's so great, and all I wanted to do was live in her house. Um, yeah. And like hang out in the blue catnip hill. She's got a really good deal going on. She's amazing. And she can artfully pile her hair on top of her head and not have a strand fall because she's using magic to do so. And I definitely... Marwyn is so appealing. I... (laughs) All the characters in the book, if I were Mandamar, I'd be like, Marwyn. Yeah. Well, it's... But Simran is amazing too. It's it's really funny because old impression. I thought of Morwen as a like old like a crone. Oh, um, really? Even though Mendebar said she's really pretty, I just totally was like, nah, that doesn't that doesn't match with what I think. <laughs> so, but now reading it, it's like, oh, of course she is like this amazing, mm-hmm. hot mm-hmm. young witch who's just like yeah. got everything uh, <laughs> under wraps. Like she's just a really cool character. Not not to say that if you are a crone, you can't like feel yourself though. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, absolutely not. And I, in my um, complete ripoff series of the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, oh, I wrote yes, I forgot <laughs> about that. Between the ages of nine and eleven, called the Dragons of Mist. Yes, um, I had. A, so I got rid of most of the human characters. It was like all um, dragons. So that it could all be dragons. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what I was interested in. I mean, that's what I remain interested in. Um, I think the only human was the Morwen ripoff, whose name was Alice, and she was old. She had, like, curly silver hair and glasses. Um, Yeah, so clearly I also, I think, saw Morwen in a similar light. Or maybe I was just trying to distance distance it a little bit. I found that book recently, too, the one I actually like finished and there's just so much that's lifted directly from the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, but that's okay. I, I wrote, you know, you learn to create your own art by mimicking. Yeah. That's how you start. 
And little kids, like when you're just flexing your creative muscles, <laughs> like as much as as much plagiarism as you want to do, yeah. as long as you're not like claiming that it's right. not. <laughs> right. And it's not like I was like I had the book open and was like copying stuff. It's just that I read these Inspired. so many times yeah. and it it really was what I, I just wanted more of the same. So it was like, okay, I'll create my own and I'll just never forget my fifth grade teacher. <laughs> I was like in the computer lab and she was like, Grace, <laughs> this project is only supposed to be like 10 pages. Yeah. I, I was, I was in really, really deep. Well, that's good. Yes. Um, okay. So magic systems, old new impressions. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little more about, Romantic realism about the relationship between Mendenbar and Simreen. I remember when I was young uh, being bummed that we didn't get to see this relationship developing through Simreen's eyes. Yeah. Um, which, like, you know, Mendenbar, he's, he's a good protagonist. I enjoyed uh, experiencing his point of view, but especially since we spent a lot of time with Simreen in the first book, um, it would have been cool to see her uh, schemas for what people are supposed to be like coming down as we're seeing it from uh, Menabar. For sure. And I think they're both, like we said, they're the ones who don't fit the mold Mm -hmm. of their character types. A lot more is expected of Menabar in his role because he's a man um, than of Simmerine. Um, But they both do have this deep rooted pragmatism that I find very appealing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's what like kind of brings them together. And Mendenbar feels so lonely at the beginning of yeah. the book. It's really, he's way in over his head. Sad. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of arguing with Willen and, you know, going from like crisis to crisis mm-hmm. and there's no self care in there. No. Um, yeah. The, fa- the very fact that he's just like, Oh, taking a walk to go see the King of Dragons to like resolve this conflict sounds nice. I want to go on a walk. I'm going to do this now because I can walk. <laughs> yeah. And, and Simmering for like the very special relationship that she and Kazul have, you know, she's not really her servant or anything no. like that, but she is having to do a ton of work cooking giant like meals for manual dragons. and planning and administrative labor. It's a it's lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. And I love that the two of them find someone else who gets it. Yeah. Like who understands the experience. And they also both have such a welcome curiosity about the world. Um, I think Simmerine yeah, more so than Mendenbar yeah. in some ways. But but yeah. he he does too. He genuinely like wants to be a good king. Yes, um, yeah. Which can't be said for a lot of kings in fantasy and in the real world. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, pretty rare. And wants to do the right thing along the way. Like he wants to be an ethical good king. Um, and so I think in all of those ways, the two of them do make sense as a pair. Yeah. And because we only get. Mendenbar's perspective. Um, we don't know how Simarina is feeling about him throughout the book. So it yeah. does make it a little more abrupt. Um, but I also like Patricia Reedy switching perspectives from book to book. Yeah. Um, no, so I mean, it is interesting. I, I think that was kind of a brilliant way to approach a fantasy series. Like, I don't know if right now I can think of 
another series that's such a clear, direct series. Like, I'm not thinking of, like, the Crestomancy books because those are much looser and less connected. But those do each have a different protagonist and different perspective. Yeah. Um, but I can't really think of any others. What about, like, Tamara Pierce series? But they have the same protagonist. They all do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't unless, know. Unless it's something much, you know, bigger like a Song of Ice and Fire, where you're like switching between a bunch that of people, but like a single nine dedi- million characters, but like a single dedicated <laughs> perspective. Yeah, that's different for each book. No, it's for cool. sure. It's a great idea. And I, I also picked up more on Simmerine, um clearly having some sort of affection towards Menembar as well. Like she touches him a lot in encouraging ways. I noticed and the touching. Yeah. yeah as an Menembar's adult. I was like, she's touching my arm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I noticed that as an adult, right, as a kid, right. it's just kind of like, what? They're not kissing. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> well, and you know, it took, took me longer than many to even realize that that is a sign of flirting or what flirting even means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hard to tell, <laughs> hard to tell if person like you. Um, Again, both married. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it continues to this day. Yep. Just, just even in a friendship way. No, Sometimes no, you for come sure. come away from interactions and you're like, well, they hate me. Yeah, like, that was terrible and awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Especially in this time when we're re-entering society a little bit for at least a brief window before the COVID door slams shut on us again. Yeah. I mean, like, I I just went to law school not very long ago, and then I was a lawyer, and... They really drill handshakes in you oh quite hard in law school. I do such weird approaches to people now. It's like, I, hi. I have to like grab my hand because I so fast it shoots out because you I trained myself to do that during school because you want to have like an assertive yeah. handshake. I, I really do so many tiny waves. I yes, I wave a lot now. I also too. give so many thumbs up to people. Yes. Thumbs up. I feel so embarrassed by my thumbs upping, but I do a lot of little shoulder wiggles too. <laughs> Just getting my whole body into it. <laughs> Suffice it to say, if any of you see us, I mean, you don't know what we look like, but that's how we'll engage with you. Yay. <laughs> do you know what a nightshade is? That was an interesting. Okay, let's let's get into animals. animals? Just like animals in this book. Animals, animals in this book. A nightshade. Um, I had to look it up, and I guess technically it's not an animal. It looked, it was just a bunch of stills from different fantasy games that were like scary, large, like men monsters. Okay. I thought a nightshade was like a sort of demon orc. Quick to nightshades.com. Nightshade, Google. Now I'm going to get nightshade out. Yeah, you have to look up nightshade creature. Creature, because it's a plant. Otherwise, it's a plant. They have horns uh, and like maybe a tentacle. Okay, so it's a demon. Yeah. It's like a... Some sort of demon. It's like in uh, Skyrim or Cyrodiil or whatever, if someone summoned a Daedra. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm some getting that kind of pretty funny stuff here. <laughs> I guess it's a D&D creature. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, with claws and horns. It's a demon. Because the description that Patricia 
includes is like it had coarse black fur all over its body and long purple claws. Yeah, I, I felt also kind of like we were just supposed to take from what she described and be mm-hmm. like, oh, it's that yeah, it's monster. A thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. I guess, I don't know, there was something about it that made me be like, oh my God, there's a fantasy monster I've never heard of before. Well, I mean, I guess kind of if it's a D&D monster and we haven't heard of it before. Anyway, other than the nightshade, cats. Cats. Lots of cats. Cats, 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 cats. There's a squirrel at one point. Um, squirrels give great directions. Yeah, squirrel gave good directions, but mostly it's the cats. And dragons and cats, it is canon that they like each other in this series. <laughs> I just like love so much the image of Morwen living alone in the enchanted forest, being completely content because she yeah. has all her baby is there. Um, Nine regardless. cats is plenty enough of personality for any person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yes. It's a flock of cats. Three cats is <laughs> a lot of personality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like almost difficult to manage at times. Um, but I feel like three is a magic number for kitties. A little, a little kitty trio. Yeah. Working back toward that these days. Yeah. Um, and me too. <laughs> My husband doesn't listen to this podcast. Don't tell him. <laughs> we live in a much smaller house. Uh, yeah. Um, but I just enjoyed the way that they presented themselves in the different adventures and yeah. pivotal plot moments. And they, they just keep getting their little introduction sentences of I like, the there only, was this cat and there was that cat. There's so many of them. Yeah. The only cats whose names we get in this book are chaos and <laughs> I want to say anguish. Great cat names. Oh my goodness. The ebook has a snippet of the beginning of the next book from Morwen's perspective. Okay. And, uh, the cat's names are Murgatroyd, Fiddlesticks, <laughs> Miss Eliza Tudor, Scorn, Jasmine, Trouble, Jasper, Darlington, Higgins the Fourth, Chaos, and Antophilia. Antophilia. What does that mean? Aunt Ophelia. Like her name is Ophelia, but she's someone's aunt. Aunt Ophelia. Antophilia. I'm sorry. Antophobia is what I was <laughs> for, like something feeling. So, yeah, if you're looking for a cat name, can't go wrong, honestly. Murgatron? <laughs> Murgatroyd. <laughs> Murgatroyd, great name. Yeah. Really good name. Um, yeah, so Jasper and Chaos make an appearance in this book. Jasper and Chaos. Um, and then, you know, we haven't... I mean, it's been a little while since we had a book with a dragon in it. And unfortunately, yeah. this book doesn't have that much dragon in it. Gosh, this is this is the book in the series with the least dragon because Kazul is imprisoned and no one else really shows up. Yeah. Um, like because Samarine talks about what a pain it's going to be if they get the other dragons involved. Right. Yeah. She's like, that will be really, kind of a mess. really difficult yeah. and hinder us. Um, yeah, but when we meet Kazul again, I'm so happy. I just, I love her so much. She is yeah. truly one of my favorite dragons of all time. She's, she's a great dragon. I would want to be her chief cook and librarian. Absolutely. And not just because I'll get to make Cherry's Jubilee Cherry's and chocolate Jubilee. moons, which is a perfect segue into pretend food. Pretend food. And there's, uh, you know, a middling amount of pretend food. Uh, not as exciting as dealing with dragons. If you want yeah. some 
true pretend food glory. Definitely re-listen to that episode. Um, but I love when Mendenbar gets to Morwen's and she gives him cider. Morwen's cider is discussed throughout this series and it sounds so good. Yeah. Cold, sweet, and tangy, and it fizzed as it slid across his tongue. I would really like to drink some of that. And he has to take some to Kizul because Marwin's like, I mean, otherwise she's going to be pissed. Sounds like a carbonated lossy. I love a cider. Um, if there is this, I guess technically this is a ginger beer, but it tastes like a cider. Um, I've been exploring all of the non-alcoholic drinks that Whole Foods has to offer. Mm. Um, and there is a really amazing ginger beer brewery that is based outside, just outside of Seattle. That's called Timber City. And Tim- they have a City. seasonal spring ginger beer with hibiscus. That's one of mm. the best things I've ever tasted. Like um, amazing. So yeah, mm. if any of you are in Washington state, uh, check whole foods when they get to the giants, they have dinner from the cauldron of plenty, which consists of fresh greens, roast pig with cranberries, mushrooms in wine, and some sort of lumpy vegetable in a thick brown sauce that disguised it completely and tasted marvelous. Yes. Really funny when a phrase starts with lumpy vegetable <laughs> and ends up with Tasted marvelous. Because you just <laughs> smother it in gravy. Yes. It's just in a gravy bath. That's how I prefer to cook. Um, and they keep getting their plates refilled because the giants are like, you must want more. So yeah. they have way too much. And then at the end of the meal, Simrine says, don't take any dessert. Balamore is using her cauldron of plenty and it doesn't do desserts very well. Dirt, so, dessert um, will be disgusting. Unless you like burned mint custard or sour cream and onion ice cream. And Mendoza is like, oh, no. Why would you serve that? <laughs> yeah. Also, like non-burned mint custard, I think, sounds tough. I, I love mint f- flavor. I know you don't as much. There's only certain mints that are acceptable to me. Otherwise, it makes me nauseous. Do you, and you don't even like mint chocolate chip ice cream, no, right? Mint yeah. ice cream is not for Madeline. Okay. Yeah. No, but mint, mint custard sounds tough. Um, sour cream and onion ice cream on the other hand. <laughs> Put it in my bowl. Why would you do that to ice cream? <laughs> then when they take off on their carpet ride, they check out the lunch that the giants gave them. And it is an enormous quantity of food, seven fat pastries stuffed with chicken and herbs, a large bottle of cold spring water, a round loaf of bread, and a generous wedge of yellow cheese, four large red apples, and a small box filled with wonderful creamy chocolate fudge. And they're both like, she must have made the fudge herself. (laughs) (laughs) I have had fudge in so long. Oh, I want to go to Starved Rock in Illinois and get fudge. When we grew up, we would take little day trips to Starved Rock, which I like to say is the only geographic marvel in the state of Illinois, yeah. um, other, other than the lake. I was going to say mean, the lake. Yeah, Lake Michigan. Lake's pretty but, cool. Uh, the lake is beautiful, but it's like, oh, it's yeah, on a city. there's water. Yeah. <laughs> like you just look out across the lake and that's it. It's got sturgeon in it. Um, but Starved Rock is a series of canyons. It's really beautiful. Caves, yeah. incredible hiking, really gorgeous. Like the first time I had ever, you know, really like climbed a hill and prepared me to live out in 
mountain towns. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like pioneer kitsch almost. Like it's just, it's great. The, uh, the atmosphere is great. And the lodge is incredible. Yeah, they have a lodge it's where massive. you can stay. They have a really cool old stone gathering room with a giant fireplace. Um, and there is a gift shop there that sells fudge. It remains the best fudge I have ever had. It's so good. I thought I was going to grow up and be like, oh, I can get good fudge other places you too. You can't. But it's just, and I've had good fudge, but yeah. it's not. It's not the It's not the same. It's not at that. I just feel like I haven't had any other fudge that's that good. It's not like the proper, yeah, the and flavor is not They make not it themselves. Yeah. I mean, they make yeah. it there. So it's not being sourced. <sighs> when they get back to... Uh, Mendenbar's castle after rescuing Kazul, the wizards just didn't feed her the whole time they had her, which is just awful. They're just jerks, jerks, jerks. And Simmerine gives Kazul an enormous kettle of stew that had been intended to be supper for the entire castle. Yeah, she and, just starts and then is everything. in the process of just frantically making pie crust yeah. <laughs> and ordering the cook around. Um, so I'm really into that as well. Um, this page also has the joke on it that I really enjoyed where Crown Prince Drillum is imprisoned in the dungeon <laughs> and he's like, well, there wasn't a rack. <laughs> he's at the upset. beginning of the book, Will, and is like, we have to get a new rack for the dungeon. Yeah, Someone yeah. took it to dry laundry on. <laughs> Good. That's a better use. Lots of fun goofing. Yeah. yeah, this book really maintains a delicate but adept balance um, between like mentions of the kind of violence that typically happens in fantasy books yeah. without it ever being shown Too as dark. something even like negative, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, like Prince Drillam wants to go to the dungeon and then is imprisoned in the dungeon and then is like, yeah, it was fine. There weren't any rats and you're missing a rack. Yeah. Um, or the giants like <laughs> marauding and pillaging and then being right. like, ah, I don't know. It just, because the way that everyone else reacts to hearing like, I'm going to go destroy these villages tomorrow is like, okay, have a good day. Right. Like, it's very nonchalant because it's just part of their universe. Well, and I think that they're like not actually taking lives. Um, yeah. It seems like they go and like, I don't know, the way people talk about it, it just feels like they're just kind of smashing things up and being like, I'm a giant. No, Rawr. yeah, for sure. Just marauding. Just like living in. through those roles the best that they can. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, badass ladies. Badass ladies. Uh, I'm going to do Simmering. Uh, Morwen, honorable mention. Um, but what I give to Simmerin is a set of enchanted cookware uh, because she is going to be a queen and she's already a kitchen witch and a kitchen witch needs some enchanted cooking wear. For my badass lady, I am going to pick, I also want to pick Simmerine. It's hard. I, I'm close to picking Morwen. I picked Simmerine. I know you picked Simmerine. <laughs> <laughs> I just respect and appreciate her so much. And I just want to be exactly like her. A great, incredibly niche cosplay would be Simmerine's um, questing outfit. Oh, man. But it was so specific. And it's perfectly rendered here on the yeah, book cover. Yeah. The maroon cape, the all black, or I'm sorry, the all blue leggings and doublet. And she has her hair in long braids and a crown around her head. Yeah. I was just like, why aren't I wearing that right now? 
<laughs> sounds great. It sounds uh, cute and utilitarian. And we've already enumerated Simreen's many wonderful qualities, but... I'm going to rate her a magic carpet that's patterned with pink cherries jubilee. Oh, <laughs> so cute. Little cherries that look like they're dancing in the yeah, wind. floating, and we're both doing little <laughs> hand wave <laughs> Floating and flying through the sky. Mm. So the next time you look up and see a flying carpet with cherries on it, think of us. You'll know that Grace is riding on it. <laughs> Grace is a foot. Something I'm throwing Jerry's Jubilee down on you. <laughs> it's an attack. What is your alignment? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh, I think that's it for Searching for Dragons by Patricia Reedy. Thank Did you so them? much, everyone, for we listening. We found those dragons. We found one. We found a single dragon. <laughs> Should be Searching for Dragon. <laughs> Singular. Just one. Um, we will put related media and then also some like fun episode tidbits maybe some cover variations up on our website dragonbabiespodcast.com instagram at dragonbabiespodcast i've been doing a lot more instagramming lately so if you want to see more like cover versions and things people have said about the books we've covered and speaking there speaking and on twitter we're at dragon babies pod madeline would you like to plug your instagram speaking of instagram you can find me at pig and doodles on instagram p-i-g-n-d-o-o-d-l-e-s sorry grace it's just so excited i'm glad i'm glad you got the plug in hey everybody um quick interjection we had planned on covering the wild hunt by jane yolen but it is out of print and pretty difficult to track down um, so I think we'll still do that at some point in the future, but we'll need a little more prep time. So instead, we are going to be covering The Changeling Sea by Patricia A. McKillop in honor of her recent very sad passing. So that will be our next episode. Sorry about the garbage audio quality. Yes, I am recording this on my AirPods. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, review us. We'll give you a badass lady ranking. I have recently been able to actually see our reviews left in countries other than ours because iTunes is really dumb um, and makes that hard. Um, we really appreciate all of you who have left a review in another country. Um, there's so many of them, and I don't feel that we can give a shout out to everyone because it would just be an episode of us doing that. Um, Shouting out. For half an hour. Um, but maybe that'll be in a special listener appreciation episode in the future. So thank you. Bonus episode. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>